like tonight I like to speak about one aspect very important that we have not been considering so far and I think if we were not doing it something would be lacking although it is not a easy aspect of the path or the practice not easy to explain and maybe also not so easy to understand so I'll try to address this uh, aspect tonight and I'll speak about freedom In the biography of the Buddha, it is said that the Buddha died when he was 80 years old. At the beginning of the rainy season, all the monks will withdraw and usually stay for three months in the same place to practice meditation. And when the Buddha was 80, so he withdrew in the, certainly in the area of Patna. And uh, he would move very little from one small place to another place and visit some of his monks. And uh, on a few occasions, he would uh, see the place and speak to Ananda. He said, oh, that's a beautiful place here. It's very nice. And then he would tell him that if somebody has reached uh, some depth in the realization and some of the power coming from some of the practice of absorption, then such a person could live for one kalpa which seems to mean according to different interpretation live 120 years old and the Buddha was 80 at this time so a few times at different places the Buddha told Ananda said, well that's really a beautiful place here and <coughs> people who have reached such a stage of meditation and develop those uh, power through uh, the absorption they can live up to one kalpa, 120 year, uh, 20 year old. So Ananda did not react. And at one, one time the Buddha was uh, seated by a tree and Mara came, the demon or whoever came and uh, spoke to the Buddha and said, well, I think it's time for you to go. You tell me um, at Bodhgaya that after your awakening, that when you will have organized the community of nuns and monks, then for you that would be okay to go. And he said, well, I think for you it's time to go. And uh, the Buddha said, well, don't worry, Mara, um, I will be going soon. Mara certainly happy and uh, went away. So the Buddha told Ananda, I said, well, Mara came and I told him that soon I will be going. I will be uh, uh, depriving. So suddenly Ananda said, oh, no, 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 please, stay, stay for one kalpa, you know, you should uh, not go, it's not time for you to go. And the Buddha told him, well, four times I've uh, brought the occasion, and four times you did not react, uh, said, it's, it's too late now, uh, I will be dying soon. So the tradition is really upset with Ananda, he has not taken the opportunity to make the Buddha live 
40 years longer, or whatever the kalpa may mean. Some people would imagine a kalpa could be much longer. So Puananda, he gets some responsibility for the death of the Buddha. Then later on, the Buddha was invited to eat uh, by a goldsmith, and this uh, host brought to him some uh, meat, pork meat, he said. So he brought this meat to the Buddha, and <coughs> he ate a little bit, and asked the goldsmith, he said, please do not give any of this meal to anybody here. You go in the garden and, and um, uh, throw it there. And after that, the Buddha fell ill. <coughs> And then he went away to, uh, to another place, so he was very ill, to Kushanava, and it is said that um, he was very thirsty, so he asked Ananda to get some water for him, and um, Ananda wanted to get some water from the river there, but it said that 500 chariots just went by, so it was so muddy that when Ananda considered to take water, it said, I cannot offer that to the Buddha to drink, so went back to the Buddha and said, I'm sorry, but uh, wait a little bit, I will find some other uh, source of water, maybe uh, slightly uh, farther on. And the Buddha said, no, please bring me some water. So Ananda finally went and took the uh, begging bowl of the Buddha and took the water, and the water was completely clear and pure, of course. So he brought that to the Buddha, and the Buddha could uh, drink this water. Later on, Ananda was in a, in a hall of the small... Um, temple there, and he was crying, thinking about the death of the Buddha. He was very sad, he was crying. And Aniruddha came, the monk, and said, well, it's not time to cry. Don't waste this opportunity. If there is something more to be asked to the Buddha, it's the time. Soon he will be gone. So why was Aniruddha not so sad? And Ananda was sad. Aniruddha, he had reached awakening. But not yet Ananda, that's why Ananda was to the side, but Aniruddha was beyond this kind of consideration. So he saw the situation and said, well, so do ask uh, the Buddha if something needs to be asked, it's really the time now. So Ananda went to the Buddha and asked him, he said, well, who should be our guide, our refuge, when the Buddha will be gone? And we could imagine that the Buddha could have chosen some of his main disciples and say, well, then follow Sariputra or whomever, like in some tradition, in like Islam tradition, you have the Imam uh, tradition and so on. So the Buddha could have chosen some of his uh, main disciples, so we live now, uh, after 2,500 years old, we live now, some disciples coming from this lineage, but he did not decide to do that. He said, you should be your own refuge. You should be your own guide. And when Ananda asked, what did he mean by that? So he said, well, by the practice of the four foundation of mindfulness, that will be guiding you. So that the guide is in the practice, not so much in the way of thinking or analyzing, but the practice will be the guide of each one of his disciples. So those four foundation of mindfulness is mindfulness of the body, feeling, mind, and dharma or phenomena. Hmm. We understand the foundation of body mindfulness, so maybe mindful of breathing and mindful of the body sensation, feeling, and the mind actually is a bit the source of the meditation on the nature of the mind. We find here some of the first um, aspect of this meditation, and later on, in later sutra, we'll find much more precision about 
how to inquire into the nature of the mind, inquiring into the source of the thought, for example, their location, their uh, characteristics. So that will <coughs> come slightly later, a clear explanation about how to meditate on the nature of the mind. So it, it, uh, that is enough, this practice of the four foundations of mindfulness, that is enough for overcoming birth and death and to reach nirvana. And what did the Buddha do then? He died. That was the end of uh, Buddha's life. Maybe we could expect some other end because all his life he was saying that he is teaching only suffering and the end of suffering and suffering was birth and death. So that was nice. He said, I will teach you the end of birth and death and the way he ended at 80 years old he just died. So he seems that is not a good example for his disciples if you want to teach the freedom from birth and death. Or did he really die? One may wonder, maybe he did not really die. We don't know. I mean, account of the life of the Buddha are quite late. I say they come nearly 1,000 years after the death of the Buddha. So we imagine they did not know the end, so they made up the end and made the Buddha die when he was 80 years old. So whatever we may consider the past, we may see that by cultivation of mindfulness, bringing some peace of mind, quietness, concentration, some investigation, one may uh, slowly develop along the path, not holding on to distraction, not being concerned by outer object, by the object of the senses, not really looking for any satisfaction or truth in the object of the sight, sound, taste, tactile sensation and so on. Neither in concept we may understand that following a path, slowly one may develop deeper and deeper understanding, maybe not grasping, bringing some peacefulness of mind, understanding the true nature of the mind, and maybe then one will reach the unconditioned freedom, nirvana, or the unborn, deathless, or whatever, however it is expressed. So that's in fine. We now like to follow this path step by step and hoping, hoping finally to reach this amazing aim, the unborn, the unconditioned. So by the cultivation of proper causes, by eliminating the wrong causes, so we'll slowly go along the path, getting rid of obstacles, getting rid of hindrances, getting rid of um, grasping, getting rid of conditioning. So slowly getting rid of all that, we may, so to speak, becoming more and more awakened till finally all the conditioning would have gone, then there will be just left a pure state of unconditioned awakening. And that will be the end of our path. But if we consider really, so what, what are we doing there by cultivating such a path, following such a path, and what can we expect at the end of such a path? 
what can be expected at the end of cultivating such a path is something which will be depending on our eradication of aspect of conditioning the aim that will be reached at the end will be completely depending on the negation or the description of all the hindrances. Only when that will have been completely eradicated, then will there be this freedom, this unconditioned freedom. Only after that. So we see that this unconditioned that we are hoping to reach at the end of our path, conditioned path, this unconditioned first demand that all the condition has been stopped. This unconditioned requires the stopping of all the condition. Then only if all the condition aspect has been destroyed, only then will the unconditioned be present. Which means that we are conditioning the unconditioned. The unconditioned is depending very much on the absence of the conditioning. So this unconditioned is very much limited. If we hope to reach a state that we would like to call unconditioned, following such a path, we see that we are facing a dead end, because that which can be reached at such an end is only something which is to be conditioned conditioned by the necessity of the absence of conditioning is still a condition. So it's very much depending, so it's not free, because it's depending on something else, so it is not a true freedom. We may imagine that being vast, luminous, we can add all the, taking from our conditioned experience, all the most beautiful aspects that we may think about or dream about making vast, deep, light, whatever, it is still conditional aspect. So in this uh, vision we can see that the condition and the unconditioned, they are completely depending on each other. Like day and night, they can, one would require the absence of the other. So we see that following a, a causal path can only lead to something which is dependent, which is conditioned and which is limited. So it seems not possible by following, cultivating cause and condition, finally to be able to reach something which is beyond cause and condition. Because this path that we are following, cause and condition, that will impose some limitation to the result, to the end. It seems that between the conditioned path we are following and what we may imagine be the unconditioned, there is some kind of gap in between. And when we try to fill this gap by causal aspect, that we are finding ourselves in an impossibility to fill this gap between the condition and the unconditioned. So it seems that a gradual path will not do it. So we may imagine, does it mean then a sudden path will do it? That is, the 
way of awakening will be sudden, not depending on, on amelioration, on improvement. Would that do it then? But still, that would be depending on this sudden awakening, and this unconditioned will be depending on this sudden awakening, which will not exist before this sudden awakening. It will be completely limited, limited in time, condition, and not freedom. So it seems a gradual path does not help us to reach some kind of unconditioned state, and a sudden path does not help us to reach an unconditioned state either. So now we may wonder if a gradual path does not lead to the unconditioned, a sudden path does not lead to the unconditioned, well, what to do then? Side gradual or sudden, as difficult to imagine another way that we will be practicing, hoping finally to reach the unconditioned. So we may wonder, maybe it's true the Buddha died actually, and then he never really got freedom from birth and death. Maybe the path can only lead to something which is conditioned, depending on time, limited. It seems that from the consideration, from this point of view of the path, the conditioned path, we are in front of the impossibility of an unconditioned end. From the point of view of the conditioned, of the condition, the unconditioned can never be reached. The unconditioned cannot be the true reality, cannot exist. So however we may try, it seems that to state an unconditioned aim is an absurdity. So it seems the way that we are considering our path is not uh, very rich because it just leads us to a dead end to the absence of a true freedom, to the absence of the possibility of something which is unconditioned. So maybe we could consider the situation from another angle, from a completely different point of view. So which other point of view there to consider? If we were to consider the matter from the point of view of the unconditioned, not from the point of view of the condition. First we start trying from the conditioned point of view. Doesn't work. So why not consider now from the point of view of the unconditioned? From the point of view of the condition, we saw that an unconditioned aim cannot exist. Now let's suppose that an unconditioned aim does exist. So what does it mean then if we look from this angle at the path? if we want the past to be attuning with this unconditioned aim. Therefore, the past cannot be a conditioned past. A path which is not a conditioned past means that a path which is not a causal path, not depending on causality, not depending on time, not depending on condition, is a, a path which is not having consequences. If it, has cons if it had consequences, it means that it will be conditioned and causal. 
and if we consider a path which has no consequences, it is a path which is also useless. Usefulness will be useful with respect to the consequence of the path. So from the point of view of the, of the unconditioned, the path would be a useless path, a causeless path, a path which has no beginning, no end, no impact, no result. It will be an unconditioned path. So this unconditioned path will have no consequence, no power. Therefore, this, con- this consequenceless path would not eliminate anything. If it did eliminate something, it will be causal, useful. So this causeless path will not be the negation, the eradication, the getting rid of anything. So if we see from this angle the practice of a causeless path which would imply the non-eradication of conditioning, there will be no negation of conditioning, then at such a time we may see that this path cannot imply any success, any failure, because it has no effect. And this path does imply from this angle that the condition, phenomena, have no power of binding, that actually the condition phenomena would not truly exist. Only at, at such a time the practice of the unconditioned path, the unconditioned path would be attuned to the path of the, of the, the aim of the unconditioned. So from the angle of the unconditioned aim, the unborn, means that the past should be causeless, and from this angle there is the impossibility of the true existence of the condition. Totally impossibility of the possibility of the existence of the condition. Now, if we imagine that the condition then do not exist, they don't need to be uh, negated, they don't need to be eliminated, then we cannot see the unconditioned as a freedom from the condition. We cannot at this time imagine that the unconditioned will be the other side of the condition. If there will be a freedom from, then this from that which need to be negated, that will be a conditioning. In the absence of the possibility of conditioning, there is a complete impossibility of the unconditioned. There cannot be unconditioned if there is no conditioning. Those two will be completely dependent. So from the point of view, if we 
so to speak, from the point of view of the unconditioned, we see that conditioning is not possible, therefore unconditioned is also not possible. So no, no, nothing to get rid, nothing to eliminate, no freedom from any aspect which would have been eliminated. Nothing to, no, no gap to be filled because there is not going from one shore to the other, other shore, not from the so shore of the condition to the shore of the unconditioned. Those will be depending. So the past then become the past freedom itself, not freedom from something. Without any necessity to get rid of anything, to get free of anything. So we'll follow, I will give a few quotations. I have not taken many to express that. One or two from Nagarjuna said, If it were something, Nirvana would be conditioned and would die like all things. Were Nirvana nothing, it would be conditioned like all other nothings. Can Nirvana be nothing? Not to be something does not mean to be nothing. I can't comment on that. And the Malakirti in the Malakirti Nyadesha says, because there is no attainment of supreme enlightenment, the Bodhisattva attains supreme enlightenment. It has to be expressed in paradox. Here, what he tried to point out that if it could be attained, then it would be not full awakening. Then it would be not unconditioned. So because there is no attainment of supreme enlightenment because there is no attainment it cannot be reached therefore the Bhishandra can reach supreme enlightenment because conditioning does not truly exist because the world does not truly exist there is no freedom from the world because conditioning does not truly exist there is no freedom from the world freedom from would imagine freedom from something no conditioning, no freedom from that. So we may now wonder what does it mean from a practical point of view? If we are following what is called the, the view. We saw that notion can limit or can be binding, notion of time, notion of self, notion of subject and object, duality of subject and object in our experiences. So when we have those notions, if we, in our practice, are holding on to those notions, those notions will be structuring our experiences and will be a limitation, will be clinging to those, that will be a limitation not allowing us to discover something beyond the notion of self, beyond the notion of duality, subject and object, beyond the notion of time. If we come in the practice with the notion of bondage 
and freedom these will be abiding abiding vision and that also will completely bind us in those notions and we cannot go beyond those notions of bondage and freedom if we cannot go beyond that will stay necessarily conditioned by those notions a practice which is seen from the point of view of cultivating the condition hoping to reach the condition this gives some structure which is binding first it gives reification it reinforces the notion that the condition do truly exist in that we give power to the conditioned world and we, by giving this power we hope now the power we give by believing in the reality of the past by this power we hope now to realize the unconditioned but by this power itself this is what is conditioning holding to the reality of causality that would not allow us to realize that which is beyond causality that is which is beyond condition and condition my gajuna expressed that also he said nirvana nirvana is not other than samsara and samsara is not other than uh, nirvana or as nongshempa said the fool try to get rid of samsara and seek nirvana why did he say the fool because in this movement there is a, a reification there is a grasping to the to the conditioning in this movement of trying to get rid of and trying to reach this movement already is giving true reality to what has no true reality and is by this giving true reality bondage is structure long champa said commenting on ayajuna the fool try to get rid of samsara and try to reach nirvana so we may <coughs> see that from this point of view the view from ayajuna's point of view madhyamika philosophy there is no true reality either of samsara or nirvana nirvana does not exist truly samsara does not exist truly if we cling to either then we are binding ourselves now if we wonder in our practice sometimes if we really understand realize the true nature of the mind then at such a time we may wonder afterward you wish you may wonder now what was the flavor of this experience was it a, an experience of freedom from or was it an experience where the sense of freedom would not apply there will be no freedom from because there would be nothing from which freedom could be uh, um, stated a way to check the non-grasping 
the depth of the experience is to inquire into if this experience of the true nature of the mind is still experienced as a freedom from. If at this time there is no sense of bondage, neither freedom, then at such a time there may be no grasping, sense of grasping. So any sense of, oh, now I, I realize, I have understood, or I am free, free of this, or free from this, or from that, would still be a way that one would hold to the reality of what one would be free from, and to the reality of the freedom. So the practice of the nature of the mind may be sometimes blended with the understanding of the view that nothing has any power to bind us, therefore nothing has any power to free us. There is no true freedom because there is no true bondage. And if we want to inquire into why did the Buddha die when he was 80 years old, we understand that actually there was no true Buddha, and nobody died. I said in the text very often, or Sarah said, Samsara never started. So if you wish, Buddha's appearance of life and death is not a true reality. Therefore, in Buddha's freedom from death and birth, it is because he's not clinging to any notion of a Buddha or somebody having taken birth, getting old and therefore dying. The freedom is not freedom from this conception of this body, and now we hope that this body would not die. The freedom is a freedom from believing or holding into existence, is a freedom from holding to non-existence. When one is not having any view of the world in this framework, there is no birth, therefore no death. Only then does it make sense to speak about freedom from birth and death. If one holds from the conditioned point of view, freedom from death is of course senseless. Once one is born, there is no way out. But if one understands from the point of view of deepest Buddhist philosophy, that actually nothing is ever taking birth, therefore nothing can die, the realization of that would be freedom. Nothing being produced, nothing being born, therefore one cannot die. Nothing has the power to condition, therefore nothing needs to be unconditioned. Only in this framework can, if we wish, freedom be understood. Otherwise, it's just a very limited freedom. We may sit quietly for a few minutes.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.